Good morning. <laughs> it's good to see you all. Uh, my name is Matt Fisher, and I'm part of the team here. Um, I feel super humbled and honored to be here and to get to talk with y'all. Um, I kind of always start whenever, on the rare occasion that I preach, I always start um, by just saying this. Um, I don't know that I'm really here to teach you anything. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything to teach anybody. Um, but I am here in hopes that um, during this conversation, as I share my thoughts and as hopefully the Lord um, maybe has something to say through me, that instead of imparting something to you, that I can help draw something out of you. I think that each of us um, deeply understands um, what it is to be a child of God and that as we grow up and we experience brokenness and sin and hurt, that we forget. So my hope today is not necessarily that you learn something, but maybe that you remember something. Um, so we are in the midst of a series called Something's Happening. And um, I don't know how much we've used the word revival. I think we have. John's not afraid of that word. Um, but that is kind of what we're talking about, this idea that something is happening. You see, 2,000 years ago, something happened. Even my, my beloved and, and dear-to-me atheist friends would agree. Like, something crazy happened 2,000 years ago, and they're trying to reconcile with it. We're trying to reconcile with it. Not nothing happened. <laughs> um, but what we've been talking about is how that affects us today, like what's happening right now. Um, and so today's specific topic as it relates to something happening, this idea of revival, this idea of the spirit moving, um, is going to be discipleship and discipline. Uh, now, a couple of weeks ago when John, actually it was a few months ago, John texts me and he goes, hey, are you free to, um, to preach on July 2nd? I said, yeah, sure. You know, what's, what's the topic or what's the scripture? He said, you're going you're gonna to speak on discipleship and discipline. And I thought, are you sure? <laughs> Uh, like, I have, I have one on deck about, like, the metaphysics of the Trinity. Could I do that one? Because um, I feel woefully uh, underqualified to teach you all about this specific topic. Um, we have a discipleship uh, um, department here at Hill City. Some of you have participated in the, yeah, discipleship. Let's hear it. Uh, our discipleship department are literal geniuses that come up with discipleship stuff. I'm not in that department. <laughs> um, Lacey is the co-pastor here. She heads that department. She could get up here and teach about discipleship. Uh, Natalie is in that department. She's like this crazy charismatic. You've seen her um, leading worship, and she's hilarious, much funnier than I am. She could get up here and teach about discipleship. Rachel, who's also in that department, is a literal genius. She could get up here and teach you anything. Um, so discipleship... I don't know. I'm going to try. I one time, it, I one time got a family, uh, family friends of ours to come to an Easter service, and they left two songs in. So, <laughs> and then discipline. I mean, think of if you've been here a while. If you're visiting, welcome. I'm I'm not the normal preacher, um, and I'm so honored that you're here. Uh, if you've been here a while, you've seen a cast of characters up here. There's John. There's Nicole. There's Shaq. Corey, Lacey, of all the people that you've been up here teaching, for me to get up here and teach discipline, the one person uh, whose fitness level could best be described as Pooh Bear um, is probably a weird thing, right? Um, but as I kind of thought more and more about this and realizing that I couldn't just spend 40 minutes making fun of myself, 
um, there was a word that kept rising to the top for me. Um, it's a word that I think about a lot, and it's this word being, like to be, like you're a human being. Um, so I thought about this word, and I thought, what, Lord, what do you have for me here? Like, what am I supposed to teach about being with discipleship and discipline and revival? Um, you see, for me, being is the through line between all of those things. The spirit is moving, um, but here's what I think, <laughs> and we could have a theological debate, I guess. I think the spirit's always moving. The spirit's been moving since Jesus took his last breath. Like, Christ said, I'm going to leave with you a spirit of truth when I go. The spirit is always moving. For me, what revival is is when we're able to wake up and see it. Um, when we're able to move in the rhythm of the spirit as it's always moving. It's about being there. It's about being awake. It's about being ready um, to do whatever it is the spirit is doing. Thomas Merton, um, who I love to quote, uh, once said that no man can exist outside the will of God, um, but what sanctification is, is making your will also the will of God, like willing the will of God. Um, so it's about being in the rhythm with what the Spirit is already doing. There's nothing you can do to command or direct the Spirit of the Almighty God who created the whole universe with a word. But we can be awake to what he's doing. We can be here for it. And, you know, part of what's happening um, is always going to depend on our willingness to lean into this thing called discipleship, which I'm going to get into. Um, our God is a communal God, a God who himself is a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I had to sneak in my little metaphysic trinity thing. Um, it is, he is a relationship. So it should feel natural for us as we talk about revival to talk about um, discipleship. So uh, I want to kind of share with you a guiding verse for me. This is the verse that, that came up um, as I thought about discipleship, um, as I thought about discipline. It's from 2 Corinthians, and it's actually from um, the opening of the chapter. It says, so you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, recognized and read by everyone. It is clear that you are Christ's letter, produced by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on stone tablets, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. Your being, you are the tablet on which the word of God is written. It's about being present. Um, that's what discipleship is about for me. So. Let's start off again with discipleship, part one. Um, and here's, uh, well, I'll get to my big idea here in a second, but first off, a quick definition. Like, discipleship is a word that you hear a lot in church. You don't hear it in a positive context outside of church, usually when it's like, oh, this guy or this woman and they're disciples. It's kind of like they're brainless followers or they're, they're acolytes or whatever. It's kind of a, a big, crazy word. But discipleship... Um, is simply about being a student who's so committed to what's being taught that you want to be like the teacher. Um, being a disciple versus being a student, discipleship is about being in the state of um, connecting so deeply with what's being taught, in our case, connecting so deeply with Jesus' teaching and with his life that we want to be like him. Christian is actually, um, used to be a pejorative word, like it was not a nice thing to call somebody. Um, at the beginning of the church. It meant little Christ, and it was kind of like a brush off. Um, but that is totally what we want to do. We want to be little Christ. We want to be like Jesus. So my big idea for this part is um, discipleship is actually more about being than about doing. 
Because if uh, discipleship is about following so closely to a teacher that you want to be like them, we have to understand that that is how God disciples us. The number one way that God ministers to us, disciples us, is by being with us. It's what sets him apart from so many of the other gods from the early Middle Eastern um, or, or near, uh, near East religions. He was with his people. Here's the very, um, or a really good first example um, from Exodus. Now, some of you know this story from, I don't know, Prince of Egypt or, or, or just like cultural stuff, but you know, uh, Moses is tending his, his, a flock and a bush catches on fire and the fiery bush starts talking, which is a wild thing. Um, and so this is part of the conversation that he has with this flaming bush, um, who is God, by the way. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. I, I am. I don't know what else to tell you. I am being. I'm here with you. I'm everywhere. I just am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent you to me. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. See, if we want to be like God, we have to be like the God who, when asked what his name was, says, I just am. I, I be. I, I am being. Um, and then tells Moses, and what I'm going to have you do, what I'm going to have you do is this first giant act of discipleship, is go be. Go be with the people. The Lord, the great presence, has sent me your, my presence to reflect his presence. I was going to get confused there. Um, it's about presence. It's about being. Um, when we talk about discipleship, there is this thing called the Great Commission. So it's a, a scripture um, where Jesus sends out his disciples, sends out his guys, kind of commissions them to go do the work. Um, this is what it says. There's going to be a lot of scripture. Uh, I, I meant to say that at the top. Um, then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to, me, given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. He does give them something to do, but then he reminds them, but I'm with you. My being is with you as you go and be with others. You see, if we're present with one another, then Jesus is present with us. Jesus says it this way. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. It's about being together and Jesus being with us. Does that require some doing? Sure, you got a plan to be together. You have to um, make sure that you're maintaining your relationships. Um, you have to, I don't know, do a few other things. We'll get to that in a minute, the discipline part of it. But ultimately, what I'm positing today is that discipleship all throughout the Bible is about being, it's about presence. One last scripture um, for this section. Jesus even, I think, there's these moments where Jesus kind of admonishes, especially people in power. Um, some people kind of overdo it with like how angry he gets or like is he flipping the tables? Is he gen gently turning the tables over? I don't know. I'm not here to, to argue about that. But there are these moments where he admonishes people and sort of um, gets a little sassy with them. So in John, he actually admonishes people um, for not being present. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. Yet they testify about me. 
and you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Again, this is Jesus talking. Look, he's telling these teachers of the law, look up from your scrolls, look up from your Torah, look up from your Bible, look up from your law. I'm standing right here. Be with me. Um, look up from your, whatever it is for you, your job, your family, maybe it's your morning devotional, like take a minute to look up and know that it's about being, that Jesus is here with you and that he's sending you out, if, if you're a follower, um, to be with others, to have presence. I'm gonna think about it um, one more way, uh, and hopefully you can bear with me because I wanna make sure that this gets, gets home to the point. Think about it this way. Think about babies. This is one of my favorite babies. Uh, respect to all babies uh, and babies in our community. This is Abisai. He's my current favorite baby. Um, my kids are somewhere. Sorry, guys. You're not babies anymore. <laughs> but he's cute, right? Like, he's so cute. <laughs> I love Abisai. Um, but just think about babies. They're not really good for much. What do they do? Like, look at him. He's not paying rent. He like, he's kind of at the age now where he'll pick up his blocks and he's actually a really good kid. But like, what's he really for? Like, what's he doing? What were any of us doing as babies? Nothing. But you have value. Nobody holds a baby or, or snuggles with Abby or any other baby and goes like, ugh, so useless. <laughs> right? You have inherent value. This is who we want to protect. Right? Like, every, if you get, if you get, if you want to get people riled up, go like, but the kids, and okay. You know, like we do that with parking now. It's like, it's for the kids' safety. Okay, we'll go park wherever, right? Why? Kids, they don't even have jobs. They're useless. <laughs> and you were too, and so was I. But we have value. Just look at this little face. <laughs> so much value. I'm just going to talk about Abby for the rest of the time. So much value. Um, God, Jesus says it like this. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. Brothers and sisters, if you are a follower, look, if you're not sure what you think about all this, I am super honored that you're here. I, I guess I would invite you to just like stay curious, sorry, um, which is a podcast we have and it feels like I'm self-promoting, but stay curious. Stay curious if you're not a believer in here, if you're not sure where you're at on all this. Watch how we talk about it. Watch how we engage with this stuff um, because it's not gonna be a useless bit of information for you. But if you're a believer, Brothers and sisters, how can we disciple people into the kingdom of God if it's never been ours in the first place? And how can it belong to us if we haven't received it as a child with our presence by simply acknowledging that be our being has value? Because at one point, we were all cute. Like we were all little babies with so much presence. We were all children with so much presence and value. We still have that. It has not been taken away from us. Um, I'm going to give one last, before I move into discipleship, I'm going to give one last example of something from popular culture, which I think is a great example of, of discipleship, and not even the sort of Jesus discipleship, just this idea of presence. 
Um, has anybody, have you guys watched the show Ted Lasso? Can I see, I don't do the hands thing. Can I say hands? Okay, we like Ted Lasso, okay. It's a very adult show, so teenagers, you're busted if you raise your hand. Um, so, I'm gonna show you a scene. It is from the last episode of Ted Lasso, but it gives away no plot points. So if you know what I'm about to show, don't say it to the person next to you because they might still wanna watch the show. Um, but I, I wanna show you this really quick scene. It's just the briefest moment in the show and then talk to you about why I think it's important. He just slightly turns and looks at you. This is what this show is about. Ted doesn't know what he's doing. He's nice, he's funny, he's a mess. But why has this show been so compelling for three seasons? It's because in this moment, he turns and shows you what the show is about. It's about his presence. It's about this knowing look that he gives people. It's about his ability to be there with them, and as a result, it makes him a good coach. People wanna follow him, even when he doesn't really know what he's doing. Um, I love, love this moment. Because for me, like when I saw it and I was thinking about the sermon, I was like, that's it? That's it, it's not about always knowing what you're doing, though it's important to study and, and grow. It's not about being perfect. Um, you know, in the show, he struggles with anxiety and, and stuff from his childhood, and they get into that. He doesn't, he, he gets sent to, to um, coach soccer in the show, but he's like a college football coach. He doesn't even know about European football. And yet, it's this triumphant tale of somebody who leads people well by being present by looking at them in the way that he looks at us in this moment in the show. You see, you will not lead people to Christ through what you do or say, but through who you are. And what you do and say must be an accurate reflection of that. What you do and say needs to reflect rather than distract from your true self in Christ. That's discipleship. All of the awesome discipleship classes we do, all of the studies you've ever done, all of the scripture you've ever read if you're a follower, um, if it's not leading you toward a change, if it's not leading you to be able to um, lovingly sort of like look to the person um, like Ted's doing in this moment, um, it's gonna be very hard or impossible to disciple people toward the kingdom. Okay, now let's get into discipline. Um, this is gonna be the, the harder one for me. I love to talk about being. Discipline is harder for me. Um, so if discipleship is about be, being rather than doing, um, then how does discipline come into it? Well, they're kind of the same word, discipline and discipleship. Hopefully you've made that connection. They're very much from the same root word. Um, but why is it important? First, we need to define our terms because discipline can be a very loaded word. It certainly was for me. Um, we're not talking about this kind of discipline. Um, that ain't it. We're not talking about this kind of discipline, though I'm sure it took a lot of discipline to do the splits with the, I don't even know if that's a real picture. It's a weird, weird picture. Um, what we're talking about um, is this. Whenever you fast, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is so obvious to people. I assure you, they've gotten their reward. I think that when, I know when I first heard this word discipline and, and thought about teaching about it, I automatically jumped to this idea of like somebody who th through like sheer force of will wrenches themselves out of bed at 4 a.m. 
and eats the proper amount of macros and then goes to the gym and whatever, right? I think about the person who um, has a very specific regimen of how they do X, Y, Z and they always stick through it and they're white knuckling their way through hard things because we can do hard things. But as I thought about this scripture, I was like, man, there's some times when Jesus, I mean, Jesus is always right. There are some times when I'm just like, I totally get what you're saying. Um, in my life, I've noticed something. When somebody talks a lot or like um, sort of displays a lot about their discipline, whatever that thing is, like, oh, yeah, I can't hang out. I got you know, to get up at 5 a.m. to go do the thing. Or people who talk about being vegan constantly, like, oh, is it, you know, like vegan hot dogs, we know you're vegan. I know the hot dog's vegan, like you don't have to say anything. People who are constantly, constantly going on and on about their prayer schedule, about their, um, their meditation schedule, about their whatever. Those are usually the people who are sort of like always, like their butt is kind of hanging off the wagon, like they're hanging on for dear life and they're trying to convince themselves and you that they got it. It's by this sort of white knuckling through a discipline. But I think Jesus is saying here like two things. A, don't be a hypocrite. Like don't be humble. Don't like always broadcast your thing. I think the more practical sort of psychological advice he's giving here is if you meet somebody or if you yourself are somebody who is constantly like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't today, I'm fasting, I'm just so weak or like, you know, whatever. They're probably one foot out the door already. Does that make sense? Um, you see, discipline, I think, is about graduating from just the doing into being. I've never heard, try, I was gonna try not to call John out for being in shape, but he is. And I've never heard him once be like, I gotta go to the gym in the morning, or this about the gym, or that about the gym. The dude just does it. He doesn't really talk about it. My friends, um, we, we had a, a woman who nannied for our kids for a while, and she was, she was vegan, and she was like hardcore. She was like animal rights. Uh, vegan. She would still like cook whatever for my kids. Famously, one of my kids, she said, do you guys want pizza? And they go, what you know about pizza? <laughs> they were like four because she was vegan. She didn't have to prove to my 10-year-old kids that she was vegan. She didn't have to like make a big deal about it, even though it meant so, it really did mean so much to her and still does. It just was who she was. I mean, just, it was a discipline that became so ingrained in her that it just was. She didn't need to talk about it that much. Um, a great example from my life is like, if you've seen me uh, talk before, or if we've ever interacted, uh, or if you've listened to the podcast, if you've, if you've like engaged with me at all, I talk a lot about my spiritual practice of meditation. I get up in the morning, I walk to the same spot, uh, it's this little bench in a park, and I try to just be quiet. I try to practice what they call contemplative prayer. Um, the reason that I probably talk about it a lot is because I ain't there yet. It is hard for me. I haven't been, I've been twice since the summer started. As soon as the kids came out of school, my whole thing got thrown off. It is very much who I want to be. You hear me talk about Thomas Merton all the time because I kind of want to be Thomas Merton a little bit. Ultimately, I want to be Christ, but I feel like Thomas is a good throughway. I, uh, you know, I want to be this kind of like monastic guy. It's why I joke about it all the time. It's why I talk about it all the time. But it, the reason I talk about it is because I'm not there yet. It's not yet part it's not yet like ingrained in me, it's still hard. I still have to drag myself out and go on my walk. You wanna know something that you very rarely ever hear me talk about? Being straight edge. 
Um, straight edge is something I'm gonna talk very briefly about, but it's basically a commitment to like no drugs, no alcohol from a very young age. The X's on the hand, it came from a youth movement in the early 80s that stemmed off from punk rock. So a, these young kids who are into skateboarding and punk rock and all of this stuff kind of looked around and noticed that a lot of their friends are like ODing on drugs, spending all of their time getting wasted. And they were like, we cannot effectively make change in the world if we're like dying of heroin overdose or whatever. So they made a commitment um, to not do any of that stuff. And so when they would go into clubs to watch punk rock bands, they would put big X's on their hands as an indicator to the bartender, like, I'm not trying to drink underage, I'm, not I'm just here to see the music, I don't, even, I don't even mess with that stuff. And then it kind of became like a whole cultural movement. Um, oh. uh, it kind of became like a whole cultural movement in which people kept like putting these big X's on their hands, getting tattoos or whatever, as a means of saying like, I don't just not drink, I intentionally like steer away from that stuff because I think it makes me ineffective. I've been straight edge since I was 14 years old, and I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida, which is a real easy place to get all of the stuff that straight edge is against. The reason why you don't hear me talk about it is because I don't, it's just, I've been 25 years I've been doing this thing. I don't really need to preach it to you. I don't really need to talk about it. Um, a little later uh, in the sort of history of straight edge, there was this band called Earth Crisis, and they uh, wrote the song called The Discipline. And they really did think about it as a discipline. Being in spaces where people are partying and doing drugs and you know, you're in this extreme sort of rock and roll space and not doing any of those things um, was a discipline. And when I started, it was hard. It was hard for me. I was like, all my friends were doing this stuff and I was choosing not to. But I saw this picture when I was like 14 years old and I was like, I don't know much, but I wanna be one of those guys. Those guys look cool. <laughs> like those guys look, those guys look dangerous. Like guys with spiky hair and leather jackets with a you know, beer in their hand, that's like lame to me now. Like this looks cool. And so I bring all of this up uh, as a sort of example in my life of it wasn't about me white knuckling my way through not drinking or not doing drugs as a teenager. It was about setting an identity. It was about seeing somebody that I wanted to be and uh, forming the discipline so that eventually after a few years, I didn't have to talk about it. And now at 38 years old, it's almost like if somebody brings it up, I'm like, oh yeah, yep, that's cool. I mean, I'm still passionate about it, but I'm still in one of these types of bands, but I don't really need to talk about it a whole lot. It's a, deeply a part of who I am. So think about that as it applies to Jesus. You see somebody you wanna be, you form a sort of set of rules, you know, for straight edges, don't drink, don't smoke, and don't have promiscuous sex, but that's not the word they use in the song. Um, and you're mo I'm moving toward a person I wanna be. You see Jesus, and first the, the first step is to really see Jesus. If that were, if the name Jesus is loaded for you because of a past church hurt or whatever, um, you gotta get through that stuff first. You gotta really try to see Jesus and think that's, that's who I wanna be, like that's what I wanna be like. And then discipline is about setting some rules in your life um, that are gonna get you there, that are gonna get you to an identity of, you know, never gonna be perfect, you're never gonna totally be Christ. But that's gonna get you toward this like identity in Christ that makes it like, I don't really need to talk to you guys about my meditation and my walk. I don't really need to, I'm happy to if you ask me about it, but I don't need to like go on and on and on about it because I'm secure and like, this is just what I do. Um, it's not up for debate. It's not up for negotiation. It's just in the same way that I get up and uh, eat breakfast in the morning, I get up and go on my walk and sit on the bench and, and have my prayer time. 
That's the goal. You see who you want to be. You see that you want to be like Christ. And then you set um, some habits in your life to try to get there. Not so that you can always be like straining against the grain to like do this thing, to lift this weight, to have this discipline, but so that you don't have to worry about it. Um, so the way that these things kind of, uh, in my head, tie together is this. Discipline is about graduating from doing into being because discipleship is more about being than about doing. So this is all well and good. Um, but I'm sure at some point you're thinking like, well, how am I supposed to do this? <laughs> like, what are the steps toward discipline? Um, I can't tell you how it's gonna work for you. You truly do have to like own your own discipline. Um, you can read books, you can um, talk to a counselor, you can talk to a coach. Um, it is good to, you know, probably somebody has done it the way that it'll work for you at some point in the last 5,000 years. Um, but you do have to kind of find how it works for you. I'm gonna share how it worked for me, a very undisciplined person, um, in hopes that it can kind of give you a little bit of clarity. So for me, here is what it looks like to develop a spiritual discipline. You set a time. Um, sometimes that can mean a time during the day, you know, whatever, 10 a.m., 2 o'clock. Um, back in the old days, they used to call it an office. You would, you'd like do a daily office. Um, sometimes it means setting, setting a time of day. Sometimes it means setting a span of time, so 10 minutes a day. It is hard to keep that 10 minutes a day if you don't have like a time in your head. Um, but sometimes it means both. Pick a time and pick a length. But you have to set a time. I really encourage you to find a place. Um, for me, you know, it's the bench. Um, when I was a kid in a world of drugs and alcohol, it was those shows. Like, I'm here, and like everyone around me is sober, I'm sober, we're all having a good time. Here's where I'm centered in, in this thing that I wanna do. Um, in my walk with the Lord, um, having that bench, which I will not talk about too much, because I will start to cry. Um, having that bench um, there by that little dirty old pond in Bryant Park has been the number one thing. Um, probably in my spiritual discipline. So setting a time, finding a place. It can be a chair in your house. It can be your back porch. I, I would say get outside if you can. Um, but it, it's just about saying this, this is where I am when this happens. Um, church is a place, right? But having your own place. Because spiritual discipline is about a daily, it's not just about a once a week thing. Um, pick a practice. Find a practice that works for you. Um, I really, I started with uh, a thing called centering prayer where you um, kind of try to clear your mind and just let be in the presence of the Lord. It's very healing. You can Google it. I'm not gonna go over the whole thing. Centering prayer. Um, there's a thing called Lectio Divina where you um, pick a, one bit of scripture and just like really absorb it. You read it every day because scripture is super, super layered. It's like a good poem or a good... Um, a good story, you can read it over and over and over again. Um, there's a thing called welcoming prayer. There's a bunch, if you, if you Google Christian spiritual disciplines, um, you will find and read through them, you, you can find a practice that seems to work for you. Um, and then the last and most important step is to fail. Fail and fail and fail. Um, one time somebody, uh, a long time ago, someone asked St. Benedict, who is famous for discipline, they asked St. Benedict, what do you and these monks do in the monastery all day? 
And he thought about it for a second. And he looked at him and he says, well, we get up and we fall down. And then we get up and we fall down. That's what we do all day. You have, if you're not able to fail well at whatever the practices that you pick, you're gonna enter into the shame spiral and the shame spiral is gonna spiral you right out of your practice. Have compassion for yourself. Hey, you know, I really wanted to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday fasting, but boy, today was rough and I had a big lunch, but Wednesday's another day. Uh, I missed Wednesday, but Friday's another day. Wow, rough week. I am still somebody who fasts Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And fasting is a big one. Um, ah, you know what? Like I said at the beginning of this talk, uh, since the kids have been out of school, it's been hard for me to get back to the park. If it takes me six months to get back to that bench, two things will happen. A, you'll know because I'll be a total mess. And B, I'll be so happy to get there. There's never a point at which I'm like, nah, I guess I don't do this anymore. There is no on, on the wagon, off the wagon. Um, set a time, find a place, pick a practice, and then fail and fail well. Um, one of the most important teachers in my life, especially as it results to prayer, um, said a very simple thing that changed my life. Failure, the only failure is in quitting. It's only in quitting that we fail. Um, so I wanna take a couple of minutes. Um, Laura's gonna come up and, and play for us a bit. For you to just think on this. Um, think about who you wanna be and how you're gonna get there. My prayer for you is that you'll see that um, perfect destination as, as the person of Christ, to put on the mind of Christ. I don't have a better answer for you, and I've looked around. Um, but I wanna take a minute to just reflect who do you wanna be and how are you gonna get there? If you're already on the journey and maybe you've got a time or you have a practice or you have a place, I want you to first take a second and be compassionate with yourself. Um, as God shows you grace, show yourself grace. And then think about how can I make this so inherently a part of who I am that I don't really need to talk about it much. It's just what I do. Let's take a minute. Jesus Christ, Son of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Help us to have mercy on ourselves. And Lord, in doing so, help us to form habits that'll make us into who we wanna be, which is like you. Lord, in your word, it says that you are love, and without knowing love, we cannot love you. Lord, help us 
to build disciplines um, that lead to being love, um, that lead to the discipleship of presence and of being. And in doing so, Lord, growing closer to you, help us to be more and more who you created us to be when we were those little children um, that you drew in um, close to yourself and uh, to whom you gave the kingdom of God. Lord, help us just to see the inherent value in being just who we are, the way that you made us. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Can we stand to our feet as we sing this last song?